Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to Soccer Morning, worldsoccertalk.com. Man, I am all ready. I'm ready for a weekend. I'm ready for, well, the soccer that's coming this weekend, but just the weekend. We've uh, we've had quite the week around here. We've got some some terrible news this morning, and it's going to lead the news. But let's start uh, just by setting this program up today. Jonathan Johnson, our friend who covers French football, will join us momentarily, or in the next couple of minutes, rather. And I'm sure you can guess what we might be talking about with uh, Michigan Johnson. I mean, it is... Um, Fascinating times around the French national team program in mostly due to the scandal investigation of Karim Benzema and his role in a blackmail scheme with Mathieu Valbuena. Uh, we will also talk about the league because that is bonkers as well. Paris Saint-Germain seems to be a pretty good team or at least a lot better than anybody else in France. We will get to that uh, when we grab Mr. Johnson in just a little bit. Let's start again. Let's start with the news, and it is sad news out of Honduras. Honduran midfielder Arnold Arnold Peralta murdered in a shooting in his hometown. Uh, he was 26 years old. He was playing for Olympia in Honduras. Uh, he had previously been with Rangers in Scotland. Uh, he was killed in La Ciba in, uh, on the country's coast. Uh, of course, Honduras has rampant problems with gang violence, uh, the murder rate among the highest in the world. He was killed. Outside of a mall, he was on vacation at the conclusion, um, obviously, of the, uh, the the club season there in, in Honduras. Uh, just no words here. Uh, no words when a young man in his prime is cut down in a needless act of violence. And uh, let's hope that the perpetrators are caught. Uh, Honduras, again, going through a lot of, a lot of things societal, uh, in a societal sense. And this is just a further expression of the problems. Uh, that Honduras is having. We wish, um, uh, obviously, Peralta's family uh, the best in this difficult time. Uh, in the Europa League, Tottenham and Liverpool, among clubs advancing uh, to the round of 32, Liverpool tops their group after a 0-0 draw with FC Sion. Tottenham smashes Monaco 4-1. Eric Lamella with a first-half hat trick for Spurs. Dortmund, Dortmund, Dortmund? Dortmund falling to Payok. How do you say that again? Is that the same club or do I have my clubs mixed up? Whatever. They lost on the road, uh, one to nothing in the Europa League. Uh, but we do have the 32 teams set for the, uh, Europa League draw for the next, uh, next round. Liverpool, Spurs, Napoli, Manchester United, Bayer Leverkusen, Schalke among the seeded teams. Of course, we have those third place teams from the Champions League groups dropping down into the Europa League, where um, I'm sure some of them will be making some noise if they take it even a little bit seriously. Liga MX final last night. First leg at Tigres, Estadio Universitario in Monterrey. A 3 nothing win for Tigres. I mean, just a crushing defeat for Pumas in that first leg. Puts them behind the eight ball as they try to go back home. Uh, and and turn that around. Andre Pierre Geniac with a penalty. Javier Aquino with a very nice goal. Rafael Sobis scores uh, the final one for um, for Tigres as they take again a three nothing lead. Seems seems pretty impossible for Pumas at this point, but we shall see if there's anything to be had there. Tigres out front on the on the front foot, attacking, attacking, attacking. Pumas attempting to sit back. And absorbed pressure, and it just ultimately did not work. Uh, the penalty was soft, but they did not deserve to get anything from that game. Michel Platinin has lost his appeal against his 90-day uh, provisional suspension at the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Now, uh, uh, Platini was um, appealing this ban mostly so he could get his name on the ballot for the presidential race in FIFA come next March, or excuse me, next February. The ban... Uh, according to the, the CAS, does not cause irreparable harm to Platini at this point in time. Uh, while he is banned, Platini cannot campaign, campaign for FIFA president, and he certainly cannot be vetted as a candidate to be put on the ballot. The case centering around Sepp Blatter and Michel Platini that, are, that resulted in the 90-day provisional ban will be heard today by FIFA's Ethics Committee with a decision expected in three days' time. Now, since we had the ban in place, and of course this is all over the, the roughly $2 million payment that was made to Michel Platini 
for work done in in 1999, but the payment wasn't made until 10 years later, and uh, lots of questions over that payment. It was not made uh, officially on the books. The the handshake agreement for work done previously, it came at an odd time just before a FIFA presidential election, in which, of course, Sepp Blatter was reelected. So lots of questions over this payment, this agreement. Uh, but since then, we've also heard that the FBI is directly investigating Sepp Blatter for his role in a, a bribery scheme of up to $100 million, uh, which involved ISL, uh, the former defunct marketing company of FIFA. So that uh, continues to hang over Sepp Blatter's head while Michel Platini tries to clear his name so he can be elected FIFA president, which we all know is not going to change anything in the halls of FIFA in Zurich. The France Football Federation, the president of the France, France Football Federation, Noël Legrette, has uh, said on Thursday that striker, striker Karim Benzema will not be included in the national team until his blackmail case is concluded. Benzema, for his part, tweeted his support um, of uh, Legrette and said he respected the decision. Uh, the Real Madrid forward hopes to uh, deny his wrongdoing, of course, in the case um, involving Matthew Valbuena and that sex tape on a cell phone and and some shady characters that of course uh we have heard that Kareem Benzema was childhood friends with and he was the one that approached uh, Matthew Valbuena about this uh, scheme Benzema's lawyer is confident that Benzema will play in the 2016 European Championships come next summer in France of course that tournament set for Benzema's home country of France to get all of that and all the details and the background and what this means we will talk to Jonathan Johnson in just a couple of moments. He covers French football just about as well as, as anybody on the planet. It should be a good discussion with him. It's a big Friday show. After Jonathan, there'll be phone calls all about you. So get ready. Soccer morning on a Friday. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning. Happy to be joined on the telephone now by our friend Jonathan Johnson, who covers French football. Uh, Jonathan, hi, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thanks. And yourself? Uh, I'm doing well. It's, um, it's a, it continues to be fascinating times uh, in France, uh, in, in French football. And, and the lead story right now, uh, of course, remains Karim Benzema, his... Uh, his connection to this blackmail scheme revolving around Matthew Valbuena, and the latest is that he has been suspended from the national team. I suppose this is 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 no surprise, but what does it mean? No, it's not a surprise at all. And basically, what this means is that Benzema is now unavailable to uh, France coach Didier Deschamps indefinitely. Uh, so basically, until this this issue gets cleared up and until there's some sort of uh, you know clear answer as to whether Benzema. Uh, is guilty, not guilty, uh, you know, and exactly what part he played has been established, uh, you know, he won't be featuring for France. Now, you know, on the face of this, this could be something that just keeps him out of uh, international contention for a couple of months, but, uh, you know, having lived here in France for for a number of years now and knowing how, uh, you know, things work in, uh, in, in France, it takes a bit longer than that, uh, you know, to take care of these sorts of things, and it would not surprise me. Uh, to see this go all the way to the wire and, you know, for there to be, uh, you know, sort of some nervy moments uh, to, towards the Euros uh, with, uh, you know, France waiting to, to know whether or not they'll be able to uh, to include Benzema uh, in their Euro plans. And, you know, at the moment, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say it's probably 50-50 at best. I, you know, I think there is a very good chance that Karen Benzema won't be playing at the Euros because mm. it, it, this just might not be cleared up in time. Uh, you know, for his part, he uh, he he did tweet that he respected the decision. Um, is that is that just uh, putting a public face on it, or do you believe that that Benzema, you know, is is taking this uh, is handling this situation as well as he can, considering the circumstances? And again, I'm putting aside any question of his guilt. I mean, I I, I think he is. You know, you know, yeah, he's he's handling it professionally, and as much as he's you know respected the decision so far, uh, he has spoken out in French public on French television. Uh, you know about the uh, 
the you know the revelations from uh, Matthew Valbuena's interview with uh, with Le Monde a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so I you know I'd say that that probably wasn't the best thing to do. Although I, I'm not sure that it was the best thing for for Valbuena to speak with uh, Le Monde as well. Right. Uh, although it, you know it did fill in some of the blanks uh, you know that the French public were missing uh, in trying to keep up with this story. Uh, but you know, I think that uh, at the moment Benzema just seems to be concentrated on getting back to full fitness, uh, playing again with Real Madrid, scoring goals as he's been doing recently, especially uh, you know in the Champions League and, uh, and, and La Liga in the last couple of games. Uh, and I think now he's just going to wait for this uh, to all be to, to, to all be taken care of. I mean, it sounds from what he's said, uh, you know, that it, he wasn't he's not guilty of uh, you know the actual crime of the blackmail. Uh, but it does sound, you know, once again, and not for the first time in his career, uh, you know, like he is guilty of uh, making some very, very poor decisions, uh, you know, and being advised on uh, on, on matters in life by, uh, by by people who are, you know, of extremely uh, questionable influence. Yeah. Uh, so certainly those connections are, are, are seen, uh, they seem to be a major part of, of why he finds himself in this position. Again, whatever he did, and that's... Uh, that's an ongoing investigation. You, you talked about uh, Mathieu Valbuena talking to Lamont, uh, and maybe there's some gaps that I still don't have filled, and I don't expect you to go through the whole case, Jonathan. But uh, you know, it is from what I from what I've seen in the last couple of months, it looks like Valbuena has done a, a a 180 degree turn on Karim Benzema. At first, it seemed as though he was saying there wasn't anything there, and, and he was his you know, of course, Benzema was his friend and his his teammate his colleague, and, and then there was a turn. Is that where things stand now? How, what's the public relationship between Valbuena and, and Benzema? Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, they, there, there isn't uh, a lot of animosity. I don't think Valbuena was trying to come out and say, you know, Benzema and I aren't, aren't friends anymore. Uh, you know, we're made out to be extremely close in the press, but it's not really that way. Uh, I, I think what they're trying to say is, that, you know, that they do have a, a relationship and a, a, a good relationship, despite the, you know, the, the, the testing nature of, uh, of what's happening at the moment. Uh, but you know, they're not as, uh, you know, uh, as close as they were made out uh, in the press, and that, uh, you know, basically, uh, Benzema was trying to help Valbuena uh, clear up the issue, but there are, you know, a, a, a number of people connected to this case, uh, you know, and a number of, uh, you know, di- different relationships that, that, that kind of muddy the water. But essentially, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I think what Valbuena uh, and, and Benzema, uh, you know, are both trying to say is that they could still be, you know, international teammates at some point in the future. Uh, it's just that, you know, when this first came out, you know their, their their relationship was perhaps played up a little bit, and it was made to look like you know they were the they were the best of friends, and that was perhaps uh, you know not the, not ever the case. And certainly that makes for a better story if they were very close, and then this comes between them, and Benzema takes advantage of the relationship. I understand all that, and again, we don't, I don't want to speculate about uh, the, the 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 real details. We certainly don't know, and and that's why there's a. An investigation and while ben, why Benzema finds himself in this situation. Um, from Didier Deschamps' uh, sit, uh, position, uh, you, you know, without Benzema being available, with um, you know, this isn't an issue of qualification. It's just an issue of trying to use uh, whatever, whatever, whatever matches they have between now and the start of the Euros to get ready to to try to go win a title. Um, what practical issue does this present for the French national team? Well, I mean, obviously Benzema is a key player in that team. Uh, you know he's the he's the star striker, or at least he is in uh, in Deschamps' eyes. So for Deschamps now, he's you know he's got to go with other options. Look at how he could potentially line up going into the Euros if he was deprived uh, of Benzema. Uh, you know, so he's going to be looking at people like Olivier Giroud. Uh, you know, Anthony Martial's uh, hit the ground running at, uh, at Manchester United. He's now started to establish himself in this France team. Uh, you know, Valbuena will be available for selection once again after missing the Germany and England friendlies. Uh, so you know he's uh, Deschamps has got a, a couple of decisions to make, uh, you know, on who he keeps in that squad, and he's got other options available to him as well if he chooses to use them. Uh, Alexandre Lacazette's been out of favour recently because he's been out of form with Lyon, but he could get himself back into the reckoning uh, with some good form at the beginning of next year, ahead of the friendlies in uh, in March. 
you know, and then there's the likes of Hatem Ben Arfa as well, who's been doing well for Nice so far this season, gone off the ball a little bit recently, uh, you know, but he's still done well enough to get himself back into uh, the, uh, the, the the French national team for those friendlies against Germany and England. So, uh, you know, there's, there's still plenty of options for Deschamps to uh, to, to go through uh, and call up for those friendlies if he's not able to call on uh, on Benzema. But I think he is still, uh, you know, planning on uh, on Benzema being there for the Euros. And, uh, and, you know, I think he's hoping to have him available uh, for some of the friendlies in the build-up to the tournament as well and not just discovering very last minute that he can either include Benzema in his squad or, you know, have to leave him out completely. Uh, you know, I think I asked you about uh, the, the, the possibility of a, of a player like Andre Pierre Genac being in the in the team um, next summer, I mean, he's obviously doing very well in, in Mexico. It's, I imagine, a little off the radar there in France, but what? And, and he's playing right now in a final uh, with Tigres in, in Mexico. What's uh, what's Gignac's uh, possibilities? Yeah, well, I mean, at the moment, Gignac is doing very, very well. Like you said, you know, he keeps scoring goals. Not even, uh, you know, you know, they're not even all tapping. Some of them are quite spectacular. You know, we saw that bicycle kick a couple of weeks ago. Had the fantastic shot from the edge of the area as well. So you know, Gignac is just scoring. Uh, goals in uh, in copious amounts, and as long as he keeps doing that, then I definitely think that that keeps him in uh, contention. You know, I think Deschamps also has to consider the way he played against Germany. Now, I know for obvious reasons, not many people will uh, will remember too much about what went on in the game, but you know, uh, Gignac did score a very very good goal uh, in that match. You know, fantastic header from a from a blaze Matuidi cross. Uh, you know, so proved a point there a little bit in that you know he does have something to uh, to, to offer this France side, uh, and I definitely think that while Karim Benzema is out, then uh, you know Gignac as well as Giroud, uh, you know, are two players who really need to be given a chance to prove themselves because they could be extremely useful uh, for the Euros. And if Benzema is unable to go, uh, then it's going to have to be one of those two. I think that uh, that leads the line ultimately for France. Now let's turn to uh, Liga. Let's turn to the league. Uh, Jonathan, it's the first time, I'll admit it's the first time I've checked the standings, checked the table in France in quite some time, or at least a couple of weeks. Um, and the Champions League has been at the forefront this week with uh, PSG and, and everything else. But I did not realize the gap. I certainly did not realize how dominant uh, PSG was. I knew they were the best team in the league by by a good stretch. But to see 15 points after 17 matches to see that their goal difference is 30 plus 32 that's that seems insane to me yeah it's a, you know it's a big lead but you've got to bear in mind as well that you know this time last year PSG was struggling they didn't go into christmas top of the league in fact they were third uh you know at the turn of the year so uh, you know, PSG are much, much improved uh, this season compared to last. And by much, much, much improved, you know, I don't mean that the that the, the football that they're playing is of, uh, uh, you, you know, the, the highest quality that we can see from them. You know, obviously there's a big discrepancy between what we see domestically for the majority of the time uh, and what we see in the Champions League. But, uh, you know, PSG are far less complacent this season than they were last season. Uh, you know, and it seems to be part of their plan that they build up this uh, huge lead in league on uh, so that they can get themselves as uh, as comfortable as possible uh, ahead of the second half of the season and then uh, knowing that they're going to face a tough or probably face a tough draw in the Champions League because they finished uh, second in their group so they're going to come up against one of the group winners uh, you know I think that they're hoping that they'll be in a position where they can just fully concentrate uh, on the uh, on the on their Champions League games in the build-up to those matches uh, you know, and not have to worry too much about what's going on domestically. Whereas last season, uh, you know, it took them a long, long time up until about April, you know, to, to, to finally hit top spot. Whereas, you know, they've been very, very dominant in the uh almost from the get-go. Uh, and I think that, you know, now they, uh, what, what they want to do is ideally go into uh, the the winter break with, uh, you know, a, a, an advantage of, you know, sort of around 20 points, you know, some, somewhere in that uh in that bracket, so that they can, you know, concentrate on the on, on the Champions League certainly at the beginning of next year, and uh, you know perhaps even start thinking about bringing in some of the youth academy uh, players as well, certainly for the for the domestic cups, even if not the league. The draw for uh, the round of sixteen coming on Monday. Now, what's the best case scenario? I mean, uh, you know, I think people would obviously pick out a, a Chelsea team that has struggled in the league, but but still won their group. Maybe Zenit as the, as the weakest of the of the group winners, but uh, it's not as though it's an easy path, no matter who they get. No, it's not. You know, I think they're going to face some very uh, tough t- 
tough teams. Uh, you know, I think that many people would like to see them avoid the likes of Barcelona and Chelsea now because we have seen them drawn, uh, you know, quite a few times in the past. Uh, so I think that, you know, there are many people who will be hoping for something like Zenit. But, you know, you've got to bear in mind Zenit's not an easy, uh, you know, an easy draw. They had a fantastic uh, group stage campaign. Had they not lost their last match, uh, you know, they may well have been one of the only teams uh, in Champions League history. I think they would have been maybe the eighth team in, uh, in Champions League history to, to go through a group stage and win every game. Uh, so, you know, I think that they perhaps uh, wouldn't view Zenit as the easiest uh, team to go up against. And also, you've got to bear in mind, you know, what the weather's going to be like traveling to Zenit at the beginning of next year. You know, it'll be extremely cold. And I, I, I think that looking at it, uh, you know, the teams that perhaps PSG might fancy coming up against would be somebody like a Manchester City. You know, I, I know when you look at the team on paper, you know, Manchester City looked like a very daunting proposition. However, given their, you know, their Champions League record and given PSG's, uh, you know, and I think given PSG's defensive record as well, you know, it's the best in the Champions League so far this season. Just one goal conceded across all of the uh, all of the group games. So, you know, I think PSG will be very confident uh, going up against whoever they're drawn against. But I think many people would like to see them avoid certainly Chelsea because we've seen that now in uh, you know in the last two editions, and uh, you know perhaps Barcelona as well because it's something that we have seen. Uh, crop up many times in, uh, in in the last few seasons. So, you know, drawing a Manchester City, maybe even an Atletico Madrid, uh, you know, that yeah, would be yeah. uh, a refreshing change, I think. Yeah. I mean, just from a selfish perspective, I, I, as you said, maybe Barcelona, but certainly somebody like, like Bayern Munich, that might be fun. Um, the So we, we, have, we have one French club into the round of 16, the other one, Lyon finished finished bottom of the group in Group H. They didn't even make it into the Europa League uh, spot. Um, Jonathan, what is the you know what is the feeling at Lyon about their Champions League campaign? Certainly about their inability to even finish third in that group. Yeah, huge disappointment. Yeah, you know, I think you can say that about Lyon's season in general, not just the Champions League campaign. I think Lyon uh, have the players to have done much better in the Champions League. Have the players to have done uh, much better as well. Uh, domestically but you know it's been a struggle for them so far they've had a number of different problems Uber Fournier was under pressure going into the Valencia game came away with a victory there uh, so that takes the pressure off ahead of the trip to uh, to PSG on Sunday a little bit but uh, you know Lyon all is not well still behind the scenes at Stade Gerland uh, you know uh, the owner, Jean-Michel Olas, extremely disillusioned with the way that his team has been playing, some of the problems between the players so far this season. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's uh, it's hugely disappointing that they weren't even able to, to, to finish third. But then I don't think many people would have predicted that Ghent would perform so well. Uh, you know, I've, many people wrote them off before the group stage draw, but they did fantastically well. And I think, uh, you know, credit has to be paid to Hein van Herzebroek and his team because, uh, you know, they did that, they did fantastically well in that group. Zenit as well, they've, you know, sort of perennially disappointed on the Champions League stage, took uh, took, took their group um, duties extremely seriously, performed very well, very efficient, and, you know, made it through as well. And Valencia were very disappointing as well, uh, but, you know, just slightly less so than, uh, than, than, than Leon were. So, yeah, it's disappointing to not see Leon drop into the Europa League, especially when you consider uh, the amount of teams that have dropped out of that competition already. You know, I'm thinking like the likes of Monaco who went out with a whimper against uh, Tottenham. Uh, you know, so for, for France to only have three uh, representatives left in Europe this season in uh, PSG, Saint-Étienne and Marseille, uh, you know, the, the last two in the Europa League, both all of them going through in second place, uh, you know, yeah. I think that all of the French teams are going to be facing some very difficult draws uh, next week when they're made. Yeah, looking at the Europa League uh, group standings at the moment, um, as you mentioned, um, yeah, Marseille and Saint-Étienne into the knockout phase in second place. Marseille finishing behind Braga by a point and Saint-Étienne finishing behind Lazio. Um, and then uh, Bordeaux uh, out of the tournament finishing last in Group B in the Europa League. And you know, at the very least, um, especially this season, there are some, you know, there's some sizable teams. Manchester United has now dropped into the Europa League. So there's at least a, a, an opportunity there. And we've seen, we've seen teams, you know, we've seen clubs take that, that competition seriously. It wasn't that long ago that Chelsea took that competition seriously and, uh, and, and made, uh, made hay from it. Is, is there, is there a real effort on the part of the French clubs with Marseille and Saint Etienne now to 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 push and, and try to try to win this tournament, or does the difficulty within the league, um, you know, preclude them from from giving it their full go? 
I mean, I think with Marseille, you know, their struggles in the league at the moment, I, I think that they will concentrate more on, their, on the domestic front than they will do uh, in Europe. Or, you know, although I think, I think they will still want to try and go as, uh, as far as possible. Saint-Étienne seem to be a little more concentrated on Europe this season than they are uh, on, the, on the domestic front. You know, their, their, their performance in this year's Europa League group stage is much, much improved uh, from, uh, from last season. So to see them... You know, uh, one one of the French teams with real uh, with real history in Europe, uh, going through to the latter stages is uh, is very good, very pleasing. Uh, you know, so it would be fantastic uh, if they if they were able to make a run out of it. You know, especially for a lot of the uh, the French footballing uh, romantics. Uh, but I I have to be honest, I don't think that either team really has the uh, the, the squad depth to sustain a, a really deep run in, uh, in 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 the Europa League. You know, I think that Marseille, uh, you know, perhaps have a bit better uh, squad depth than uh, than Saint Etienne, but. They're still getting to grips with uh, with, with, with Michel as uh, as a new coach, and they're you know trying to work their way up in Ligue 1 as well. So I guess it all depends on uh, what their domestic form has been like over the winter break um, when uh, when when the Europa League starts back up. But with Saint Etienne, you know, I, I think it's fantastic that they got themselves out of the group stage. But I'm not sure that I can see them going that much further because once again, uh, you know, they're just undone by their by their lack of squad depth. Really, you know, they were Delta. A severely harsh blow a couple of weeks ago in the in the derby against Lyon when uh, Robert Beric, the striker, uh, got injured. You know he's now been ruled out for the season. So losing a player like that, somebody as as prolific as he is in such an important position, especially one that Santetti have really struggled to fill uh, in the last couple of years up until they managed to sign him. You know that is. Uh, a, a big blow for their chances, but you know I'm, I'm sure they'll give it everything to try and get through, you know, at least a couple more rounds, and uh, you know, hopefully come up against one of the uh, one of the real big guns of the tournament, and you know, see how they how they can handle that over over two legs. But I think the longer Saint Etienne are in Europe, I think the more they'll struggle uh, in the league. You know, we've seen them uh, losing more games so far this season than I think they did even over the entirety of uh, of last campaign, although very close to. Uh, having lost more already this season than they did last, so uh, you know they they've improved uh, on the continental front, but they've regressed a bit on the uh, on the domestic front. Uh, I'm looking at okay, so we, we're a couple of weeks from the um, from the first half of the season uh, concluding, uh, and at this point, or with those two weeks left to play um, before we take a, a quick break and then start the second half, what are the what are the stories for you beyond you know PSG and, and their lead at the moment, as you would expect? Where are the where are the storylines that are that are most intriguing for you, Jonathan? I think you just got to look at uh, you know the chasing pack for uh, you know behind PSG at the moment. You've got the likes of Angers, uh, Caen. You know, extremely impressive so far. I think up until uh, you know their recent loss of form, Nice as well have been very exciting to watch. And uh, you know, I think all the way down there as well, Gazalek Ajaxio have been on a, a a fantastic recent run. You know, nobody expected anything of them. Uh, you know, they started the season, uh, spent it dwelling on the bottom of the league. Uh, you know, going to going going to uh, form. You know, as as far as many people's preseason predictions, and then all of a sudden started picking up wins, stringing them together. You know, put put some very very good form together, uh, and now they find themselves out of the relegation zone and you know, looking to keep themselves out of the out of the bottom three for as long as they can, and perhaps uh, you know complete a a, a remarkable uh, survival story. You know, I think Gazalek deserve plenty of credit for the way that they're playing at the moment. Uh, Thierry Loré has done a, a fantastic job there and hopefully he keeps doing that. Uh, Angers as well, okay, it might not be the, the, the most beautiful football to watch at times, but you know they're getting uh, some fantastic results. First, I think first team in maybe 26 league on matches uh, to, uh, to, to not allow PSG to score against them in, uh, in, in a league game. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, when they drew nil-nil, fantastic effort from them. And then uh, they were the uh, they were the visitors in Lyon's last Ligue 1 game uh, at Stade Gerland and came away with a 2-0 win. So you know, really spoiled the party there. Uh, they've been fantastic so far this season. Uh, you know, no real standout stars. You know, apart from some very good, solid defenders. Uh, you know, very good um, midfielder as well in Shaken Doy, uh, but you know, no sort of prolific striker there to to be uh, scoring all the goals to keep them up. It's you know very much uh, uh, a team achievement from them, and I think Stefan Moulin deserves plenty of credit for 
for what he's done with Angers so far. And, you know, Caen as well, very, very exciting team to watch under Patrice Garand. Uh, you know, and I don't, I don't think it's unrealistic at the moment considering the nature of, uh, of Ligue 1 and how a couple of wins can, uh, you know, get you into a good position as far as European qualification goes. And, you know, a couple of defeats can also send you down, uh, you know, looking towards the, the relegation battle. I don't think it's unrealistic at the moment uh, to say that, you know, teams like Caen and, and Angers could be involved in the shake-up towards the end of the season, uh, you know, for the Champions League places. Well, that would, be, that would certainly be stunning. Um, again, again, PSG far and away the best team in the league uh, b- via the collection of, of talent that they've, uh, they've spent a lot of money to, uh, to put together. Uh, the rest of the league, and, and I guess this is, gets me to the big picture questions. This is, uh, this is just how my brain works, Jonathan, to, to, to wonder about the, the future, uh, to wonder about the, the makeup of this league, provided PSG maintains their position as the uh, most dominant team and, and, and really starts to make it a, a one team or, you know, barring a, a run from a couple of other sides uh, year to year, uh, making it a one team league. What does that what does that ultimately mean for French football in the short term? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, that's something that's, uh, you know, is, is a concern, but it, it depends season on season. Uh, you know, this season, as I said earlier on, we've we've seen a very focused PSG side, uh, you know, a PSG side that's not as complacent as it was last campaign, that they're very focused on uh uh, you know, and wanting to pick up as many points as quickly as possible, knowing that it will help them, uh, you know, really make an impact on the stage that they, uh, you know, desire to, to impress on, which is the, the Champions League. But, you know, next season, you know, especially after the Euros, a number of players are going to be fatigued after a very long summer. You know, it is possible that PSG start the season slowly again, like they did after the 2014 World Cup. And when that happens, uh, you know, that opens the door to some of these other sides to, uh, to impress. And, you know, after the Euros, it's obvious that Lyon are going to sell some of their, you know, their homegrown talent. But depending on the players that, uh, that Lyon can keep, uh, you know, depending on whether Fournier stays in his job or whether uh, Lyon appoints a new coach, uh, you know, I think that there is a chance that we will see them rise again and, uh, and once again challenge at the at, at the top. So I think although PSG are on paper, you know, by far and away the strongest team in Ligue 1, uh, I think it all depends on uh, on their mindset. This season they're obviously very focused on uh, winning as many games as possible as quickly as possible, uh, you know, and, and, and putting the title out of reach of the other teams. But, uh, you know, I think that that's something that could change season uh, season upon season, especially uh, if there's a lot of fatigue picked up by uh, by their international stars. Uh, you know, but at, at the end of the day, Ligue 1 is not going to change too much. Yes, OK, maybe it's a one-horse race, uh, you know, at the very beginning of the season, at least as far as many people are concerned when they, you know, when they look ahead to the league season. Uh, but, Ligue 1 will not change in the fact that it still produces a lot of fantastic young talent uh, and that there will always be these, uh, uh, you know, these, these success stories with the likes of, uh, of, of Angers, of Caen uh, and of Gazalek Ajaxio. So, you know, I, I don't think there's any danger of those sorts of teams, uh, you know, n- not, not impressing, not being able to make, uh, you know, something of an impression on, uh, uh, on, on European football. It's just a question really of whether... Uh, you know, PSG continue to, 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 to want to avoid being complacent as, uh, as, as much as they have so far this season, which, you know, is not a guarantee. Right. Um, so that, uh, it brings me to the, to the self-serving portion of our, of our chat, Jonathan, as always. Um, and now having, now with Bob Bradley in France, have to check on him and whether or not you've, um, you've had a, a look on in, in on Lava at, uh, in the, in the recent weeks. I know he didn't start well. Uh, this is obviously going to be a, an adjustment period for him and for his club. How are things going at Lava? Yeah, well, he's, you know, it did, like you said, it took him a couple of weeks to really, uh, settle down, find his feet. You know, I think it was the, it, it was the fourth game, uh, of, of trying that they finally managed to, to, to win. And I think that it's, it's very, you know, it's very interesting to see how, how Bradley's gone about his work so far. Uh, you know, I think he is discovering, uh, you know, a lot about, uh, Ligue 2 and the way that, um, you know other co- other coaches that have gone before him have done. You know people like uh, Claudio Ranieri. I'm thinking, uh, you know, every every coach who or every foreign coach who's, who's gone into uh, into league uh, has has commented how much uh, you know how difficult it is compared to uh, their expectations. You know, uh, I think that this is exactly what Bob Bradley's uh, been finding out, and I think finally with that victory. 
uh, over Evian, uh, you know, a 3-2 win. I think he'll fight against one of the stronger teams in the league as well, it must be said. Uh, you know, Evian have just come down from uh, from Ligan, coached by Safet Susic. You know, so I think it will have been a real uh, eye-opening experience uh, for, for Bradley so far. But you look at the results, OK, the cup loss, very disappointing. But like I said to you uh, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, I think in the long run, that will benefit Love and, uh, and, and Bradley. The draw against Brest, not too bad. Uh, losing to Nancy as well, uh, you know, quite understandable. You know, these are some of the best teams in the league that, uh, that Love have come up against so far. And, you know, to, to beat Evian is, uh, you know, it, it's something positive now for, for, for Bradley to work on with the team. But, uh, you know, although they were quite close to the, to the top of the table when he came in, you know, I think it was still going to be a bit of a challenge for him to get them into Ligue 1 at the first, uh, the first time of asking. Uh, you know, so I think he'll know exactly what he needs to do ahead of the second half of the season uh, in order to try and you know keep them in contention for for for, for going up to this championnat uh, at the end of this season. Uh, you know, I, it's difficult to make a prediction now as to whether you know he'll be successful in doing that. Uh, I definitely think that he's got a very good, uh, solid squad there, but I do think he'll need uh, one full season uh, in order to be able to, uh, to to achieve that but we'll just have to see how things go over the uh, over the second half of the campaign you know I think that he'll be confident that they can get uh, a result away at Nîmes uh, before Chris before the winter break and then uh, you know they've got Auxerre at home as well as their their final game of 2015 so I think if he can pick up maximum points from both of those games uh, then they'll start 2016 uh, you know with uh, with a real positive outlook Jonathan Johnson covering French football all over the place. Uh, follow him on Twitter. It's John, J-O-N underscore Le Gossip. Uh, John, thank you very much for the time as always. Uh, brilliant insight. And uh, uh, if we don't talk to you, have a good holiday and, and a new year, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much, Jason. You too. Take there care. Goes, uh, Jonathan Johnson. Good stuff from him as always. I uh, always enjoy that, uh, that chat with Jonathan. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We will open up the phone lines, and we will talk to you on a Friday. There's a lot to talk about. I haven't even mentioned that the U.S. women won last night. D.C. United has a new logo. It's all on the table. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We're back on Soccer Morning. It is Friday. I got an itch. Let me get rid of that itch. I'm being told on Twitter that there are new renderings of the Cosmos Stadium for Belmont. I didn't know that they were still... I mean, I knew they were still chasing that. I don't think it's a dead thing. But I, they're releasing new new renderings for what purpose exactly? Like, I, I think it's a great... Here's the thing. I really, really want the Cosmos to get that stadium built. I think it would be awesome. That would be amazing. Now, I don't have a stake in Belmont or Elmont or Long Island or whatever. I don't have any stake in what happens there. So it's easy for me to say, go build the stadium. But I think it would be awesome. And I think it would be the, the pressure applied by the Cosmos on MLS or on American soccer in general, because the second division team now has a 25,000-seat venue, that would be good. That would be good. Let's see what the Cosmos can do. I mean, I, I, for all the, for all the questioning I, I have of the way NF, NASL has positioned themselves in American soccer, I certainly see the Cosmos pushing the envelope as a good thing. And I'm looking, I mean, I'm looking at the current renderings. If there are new renderings, where, where are they at? Where are they at? Oh yeah. And, uh, <laughs> That Batman kid with two Ds is reminding me of something that happened last night at that Tigres Pumas game. Th- this is of among the more random things, and you know what? I already knew that he was a fan. I had just sort of forgotten and pushed it out of my brain. And I don't know how it happened. I don't know the the backstory. I'm sure it's an interesting one. I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he's got Mexican in, uh, descent in his family. Rob Schneider is the a number one celebrity fan of Tigres 
U-A-N-L. Uh, however you say that in Spanish, those, those letters in Spanish. Rob Schneider. Yes, that Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider from Saturday Night Live. Rob Schneider, the guy who, <laughs> who said making some copies. Rob Schneider, a man whose film career is among the, <laughs> I don't say the worst. He's made some cash. But I mean, for pure quality, this is, this is not, he is not up there among the greats. Okay. I mean, he's known for Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo. He's known for the animal. He's known for being the guy in, uh, in, in the Adam Sandler movies who pops up and says something f- ridiculous. He's known to be, he's known for being the guy from the water boy who says, you can do it. You can do it. Remember that that's Rob Schneider saying you can do it in the water boy. That, that, that's like his tat. I mean, think about that. Your career is built around the, 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 uh, uh, a cameo in a movie where you say you can do it in a, in like a Creole sort of accent a couple of times. You can do it. You can. That's Rob Schneider. And he's like Tigres. He's like their celebrity fan. And he was in a box. They gave him the microphone at halftime. They gave Rob Schneider the microphone at halftime. And you know what he said? This is a report from my friend Eric Gomez, who tweeted the picture. And it says that Rob Schneider got on the microphone and said, Tu puedes hacerlo. Meaning, you can do it in Spanish. Tu puedes hacerlo. I mean... That, like, this is the rallying cry. Apparently, he gave a pregame speech. Rob Schneider. I mean, Rob Schneider is the guy giving the pregame. I mean, it worked. They won 3 nothing. They won 3 nothing. <laughs> oh, man, I love that. I mean... How come MLS can't get some former SNL cast member who made terrible movies as their celebrity fan? The bellhop in Home Alone 2, Rich Ransom on Twitter. Yes, he was that guy. He was the guy asking for the tip, and uh, Kevin McAllister McAllister gave him his gum. Very good. Very good. Eric Hunt's on Twitter. Oliver Kahn 8. Sorry. Oliver Kahn 987. And I mentioned this, the, the, the DC United, by the way, phone lines are open, 646-832-3909. You guys know how this works. If you don't call, if we don't have stuff to talk about on the phone lines, we will, we will shut it down. Cause it's Friday and really we all have better things to do. Well, not, not really. I don't, but we, and soccer is fun. So you should be talking to me about, about it anyway. Call me. OliverCon987 on Twitter. Uh, Eric Hunt talking about the DC United logo rebranding situation now i have no problem with it i had no problem with it myself initially i mean i still don't really but he's pointing out now i don't know that this is to be this is true trevor can we get verification on what eric's saying here dc logo is cool but why switch to a right facing eagle and trevor pointed this out last night that the eagle's head switched from the old logo to the new logo it's looking a different direction why face to a right, why switch to a right facing eagle? Very associated with Nazi Germany. It's why America's face left. I hope that's not true. I mean, we've already had a situation where DC United had a very Reichish logo and had to change back in the day. Let's not do that again. I mean, I don't know that most people know what Eric knows. If this is, again, if this is true, this is, this is something that I feel like I should know and I don't. So I, if this is a thing with the eagle, I don't know it. By the way, <laughs> so apparently uh, Rob Schneider is, is not necessarily specific to one Mexican soccer team, that he was also at one point uh, a, a Cruz Azul 
fan. Okay, Schneider's a fan of Tigres because of his wife. She's a huge Tigres fan. So maybe, and here's a picture, a guy called NOE, NV406 on Twitter, just tweeted me a picture of Rob Schneider in a Cruz Azul shirt. So maybe he just collects shirts. I mean, maybe maybe he just collects Mexican football. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, and you want to rock it on television, fine. No, I have no problem with that. All right. 646-832-3909. Jimmy, Jimmy Crack 91. Don't forget the movie The Hot Chick. <laughs> I don't even... I mean, I don't think I've ever sat through an entire Rob Schneider vehicle, meaning a movie in which he was the star. I don't think I've ever sat through one of those. That, those would be the Deuce Bigelow movies, The Animal, The Hot Chick. What else? What else was he the star of? Not just a, a, a part, not, not the guy who says, you can do it, but like an actual star. The actual lead guy. I don't, that's, that might be the list. My friend Ray up in Milwaukee. What's up, Ray? What's up? Um... Uh, I don't know, but I, I, I what you call it about SNL guys, but uh, I think that that would be awesome if they did a, a, I know Will Ferrell's always done some stuff for U.S. soccer. Yeah, yeah. I think Will Ferrell's gone, I think Will Ferrell's been spotted at some Galaxy games. I think that's a, I think that's a thing that's yeah. happened. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it's not as though there aren't some connections there. I'm just, you know, we don't have, we don't have uh, ex-Galaxy, or ex-SNL guys and, and these comedians giving pregame speeches and getting up at halftime from their luxury box and on the microphone and, <laughs> and and pushing the team for I mean I'm just I'm just kidding Ray what what's on your mind Well uh, I just like to say that that game was uh, highly entertaining I mean the th- 3 nothing scoreline and and that you know uh to some people say that you know when you talk about playoffs and they say that um that these teams don't, uh, that the better team most of the time wins a table system, uh, I would say not always necessarily because if you look at, I think Tigres has been the most, I think Tigres is the best team in Liga MX right now. And, you know, uh, Pumas was the one that won the league title, but when they played each other last night, you saw who the better team was. Uh, you know, I'm not an advocate for a single table uh, myself. Uh, I, I believe that when it comes to the American sports culture, that playoffs definitely uh, perform well on television. And it's, it's always unique when people go out here and tell me that the American soccer audience does not like playoff systems, and yet the highest-rated soccer games generally tend to be Liga MX playoff games. Yeah, you know, I think it's... um. That's easy to overlook, right? And and uh, obviously people want to use the MLS television ratings as a cudgel against the league, and it's doing everything wrong. And that includes playoffs sometimes, right? But you're right. There's, I mean, that that's a, I mean, it's just more important, right? I mean, for a, for a Mexican American community, it's just more important. The soccer is more important, and then the soccer that they tend to watch is the soccer of their, uh, you know, of Mexico. And and so I, I see exactly what you're saying. And it's not necessarily the playoffs that's the problem. It's it's making the playoffs matter to a soccer fan uh, who watches MLS or who could watch MLS. Right. And and then uh, I know a couple of days ago you were talking about uh, Zinyak and and Sebastian Jajenko. And uh, one one player is 90 minutes away from winning a league title and the other player got bounced out in the first round of the playoffs. And, and I honestly say you, we could talk about European players coming to North America as a whole and bringing soccer, uh, raising soccer to a higher standard. But I also believe that it, one of the reasons why, uh, the French guy came to, Junior came to Mexico was because, uh, the level of player going over to Europe. Uh, I think that that may have been an influence why he decided to go to Mexico as well. Because if you look at it uh, over the past decade, there's been Mexican players have won league titles in Germany, Spain, England, the Netherlands. That's that's incredible. I think if you look at it from if you've been following Mexican soccer as a whole, uh, that you know they've probably one of the most underachieving players throughout. 
uh, from a European standpoint, from a soccering country. Well, I think it's what I think is interesting about Gignac at, at Tigres Ray is that Tigres made the effort to go outside of Mexico to find a player from from Europe and and bring him there, and, and yeah, it cost them a lot of money, but. Clearly, they're making a statement because what has Mexico traditionally done? They've stayed either within uh, the Mexican confines or they look south to South America. And there's been a lot of great South American players who have come through Mexico, but they don't traditionally look to Europe for their talent or for uh, for names or for players who can help them win Copa Libertadores or, or the Liga MX title. And not saying that this is a game changer that Geniac is at Tigres and that he's doing so well, but... If Mexican clubs, with the money advantage they already have over MLS teams, and yeah, MLS designated player rules make it a little bit of a, a, a more even playing field, but if Mexican clubs, certainly the big ones, decided they wanted to go and try to entice some European-based players, some Europeans, to come and play in Mexico, that changes the, com- the complexion of that league. I think it would be very, very fascinating, and I'm not sure everybody would be on board with it, right? I think a lot of people uh, in Mexico would sort of be against that idea of of using European talent um, in their league when they've been so traditionally reliant on look the good Mexican talent that comes through, but also you know on Latino players from South America. Right, I would I would agree with that. I, I think that uh, it's hard to argue uh, though um, Tigre's success. So I mean, if the, the players, I think a lot of uh, outside of maybe one or two fan bases, uh, maybe what you call it, uh, you know, um, want that level of success. Um, but I do agree that, uh, I, I, that's why I personally believe Liga MX is the best league in the Americas when you judge talent from the Americas in general. Yeah, but think about how much, uh, that's I the thing that's about, that's the thing what I'm trying to get to, Ray, is think, not only is, okay, right now Liga MX is, is the best league in North America, no question, probably because of the financial um, stability of that league, and they, they have occasional issues, but relative to the rest of Latin America, well above Brazil, well above Argentina, probably, like you said, maybe the best league in the Americas, period, bar none, and yet they could be bigger, they could be better, they could have more international talent, which would push the level higher, which would mean that maybe we would be talking about a Mexican team going and winning the Club World Cup, for whatever that means, having an, a real shot at that, rather than sort of just being... Um, you know, a, a, a patsy for a team like Barcelona when it comes down to it. Yeah, that would be really interesting to see sometime. Uh, and, and just how close are they uh, is uh, something that uh, only time can tell. And then, uh, But I did hear that Gignac did say that he thought that this Tigres team could compete with uh, quite a few teams in Europe. I mean, sure. I, mean he's, sure. I know he's talking to the Mexican audience, you know. So, but uh, I guess he even said that in France, though, when he was asked by the French media. Yeah. But uh, so I don't, I don't necessarily know. But uh, it should be interesting to see. Appreciate the call, Ray. Good stuff, man. I mean, the the, 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 yep. the situation with the Mexican league. Where Liga MX is, and, and, you know, it's always been the sense, and of course I'm removed from the situation. I'm not sitting there in the middle of it. And this is why we get Todd Marshall. This is why we get Eric Gomez on this show to give us some explanation. But it always seems as though Mexican soccer gets in its own way, not just from a national team perspective, turning over coaches, having contra- uh, controversial problems within the team, but just in the league sense, if only everybody was sort of moving in the same direction, there's going to be competing elements. All those t- TV concerns are going to make it a competitive situation, but if you were just moving in the same direction on some level, you imagine that the Mexican league could be massive, could be, could be, I mean, again, they're, they're removed from Europe. It makes it difficult to, to compete and be in the same breath as the Premier League or the Bundesliga or, or La Liga. But with the Mexican financial clout, with some of the things that they have going for them, they could be even bigger and better than they are. Bill in New York, you're on the air. Jason, what's going on? I wanted to, uh, I was going to talk about the Cosmos, but I always get off track listening to your, your other callers. <laughs> what is, uh, how does, how does Ray feel about the Mexican players coming to MLS? I'm not sure if I've ever heard him talk about that. Before. Uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know about Ray, uh, individually. We'll have to talk to him. I mean, you know, I think there's, um, there, there's a split uh, among Mexican-American soccer fans, the ones who don't really give MLS much of their time or, or maybe do a little bit but certainly don't think it measures up or, or they really hate it when a guy like, like Dos Santos or, or, or and obviously not yet happened, but Vela 
or Fabian consider it. And then uh, uh, there's some fans who are like, yeah, bring them on. Let's, let's go. This is, you know, the ties between, uh, U.S. and Canadian soccer and Mexican soccer are only going to get tighter. There's really no reason to keep those players out. And, and look, the, the, you know, there's certainly a lot of advantages for, for MLS in terms of trying to attract those players. Quality of life, regu- you know, re- regularity of paycheck and the, and the less intensive media environment. So you can't stop them. It's going to happen. I know with us, because with, with Rafa, it was such a nightmare. But I, I know that the Mexican fans hated that he came to Red Bull. They thought it was such a sellout and that he was just doing it for the quick money and that in the long run he was going to hurt the Mexican team and that this was like an awful thing. And I was curious if, like, are there more fans going to see Mexican players? You know, I, I'm almost thinking that they, they look down on it. They, they hate that they're coming to MLS. They think they're a sellout for doing it. And I was curious if Ray felt the same way, because I know he's a big Mexico fan. Yeah, but um, go ahead, I was Bill. also calling about the... Yeah. I was calling about the Cosmos and their new stadium. And I've called you before about this, and I'm like, the Cosmos need to come back to their roots. There's a beautiful stadium in New Jersey just waiting for them to come and buy it. The money, if they... And I don't care what anybody says, the Cosmos and the MLS, they don't get along. If the money is there, they will move... And they'll come over, and I'm still fighting for the Cosmos okay, so, to come over and buy out Red Bull okay, so and you, play in New Jersey. All right, so you're advocating for the Cosmos to put together. I, I mean, consider I, again. I mean, I've heard some people question those Forbes uh, Forbes valuations of MLS teams, um, especially internally within the league. But we know that stadium costs uh, a good chunk of money. I mean, we, again, we're talking about 300 million bucks, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about something or, or two 200 at least, 200 million bucks to buy the Red Bulls and Red Bull Arena to get your st- and then slap the Cosmos name on that team and be part of MLS, right? And and I, I I you said you said they should do it. I'm not sure I'm not sure they should do it. Bill and and, and it's not that I don't think the Cosmos name in MLS is a is is a positive for the league and maybe a positive for the team. But they've chosen their path and I kind of rather see them take that path and push it to its limits. I mean for again, for all the criticism I throw at NASL in terms of their positioning within American soccer, and, and really a lot of people will tell you that it's the Cosmos driving a lot of that. I think the Cosmos individually can be good for American soccer by shaking things up. I'm not. I'm. I've never been one to sit here and say the MLS way is the only way. I I understand that a lot of people don't have a, you know don't have a lot of confidence in the MLS model. I think they should be given credit for how they where they've gotten to, but that doesn't mean there doesn't need to be a fly in the ointment to make people think moving forward. But you think they're going to get 25,000 to come to an NASL game? That stadium's going to be half empty. I don't, I don't, I, I, yeah, I don't know, Bill, but I'd like to see them try. I mean, you know, and if they do get that stadium built, maybe there's a, you know, not that this is what they want, but maybe there's a possibility that, you know, that NYCFC buys up that stadium and, and the Cosmos, I mean, not the Cosmos are going to go away. Maybe they find a ground share situation with those two teams. I, I don't know. I mean, again, I don't want there to be a white elephant. I'm not, I'm not, not wishing that on, on, on Belmont, but, or on Long Island, but I, I do, I do think it would be fascinating from, from, from just a, a system shakeup situation to imagine the Cosmos getting a 25,000 seat stadium built ahead of NYCFC. But I know we always talk, and I've heard you talk about in the past, that we want to keep moving. And any time that uh, something fails, it really sets us back. And something like a 25,000-seat stadium for NASL at Long Island, I think would fail. I, I, okay. I honestly think it would fail. I think a third stadium in New York area. I mean, the Red Bulls, we, we don't sell out. <laughs> we get 16,000 at these games. And that's even, I don't know how they fudge the numbers a little bit. I think it might even be a little less than that. And now to put a third huge sta- third stadium in New York area, it's just not going to work. And God forbid New York City ever got in on the deal and went out to Long Island, that really shoots down everything they've done yeah. so no, far. No, no, that's a failure. I- I've said it before. If if NYCFC pl- ends up playing anywhere but Manhattan, Queens, the Bronx, or Brooklyn, it's a failure. And, and I'm, you know, again, I'm not, you know, Staten Island doesn't get included very often anyway, so they're not, and they're not going to build a stadium on Staten Island. So, I, I, if they don't, fa- if they don't find a way to get, to, to put a stadium in one of those four boroughs, it, it is a failure. And that includes on the edge with Belmont. I mean, I, I just don't think that that's, you're, you're right. That's not, that's not a good thing. 
All right. Well, I'm moving forward. Come on, Cosmos. Come to New Jersey. All right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Bill. And look, there is a legacy there, obviously. Again, the Cosmos playing at the Meadowlands. I I don't don't know. How about this? Now, again, Bill is advocating for the Cosmos to spend a a lot of money to buy up the Red Bulls uh, thing, their stadium, their team, and move into MLS. And essentially just change. And again, again, this is actually funny. Thomas19064, our friend Mike on Twitter. How convoluted would that history be? Cosmos, NASL Legacy, Metro Stars, Red Bulls, Cosmos, NASL, New, MLS Cosmos. It would be very difficult to follow. But they, they, you, you have to believe that the MLS owners would say, yeah, sure. Come on in. Your money is green. That's all that matters. I'm not so sure that that's the case. Now, if the Red Bulls desperately want out of that team, if Red Bull, the company, excuse me, desperately wants out of that team, they may not have a choice. But there has to be an approval. There's an approval process for ownership in sports leagues. And I don't know at this point if the Cosmos can get the votes. If they wanted to do it, and I don't think they do. And again, I think that they have, they have pushed all in on this, uh, on this going their own way NASL thing. And I respect the hell out of them for it. Again, I don't know if it's good for, for American soccer as a whole. I don't know if it's good for the future of MLS or NASL. But I respect the hell out of them for it. 646-832-3909. All right, so this just, uh, this dropped, uh, just dropped on Twitter. Uh, tweeted by uh, Mike Goodman, who writes, uh, well, used to write at Grantland. Obviously, Grantland is dead. ESPN FC and many other places. I think I've seen, I've seen his work at 538. Uh Mike retweeted something from Renee Marich, uh, who is a football writer. Apparently, he he translated an interview that Tony Cruz did with Zeit Online Sport. All right, so here you go. Uh, Zeit asks, if you had to do without one game model or motivation, what would you do without? Cruz says, if I had to choose, I, wa- I would waive motivation. Zeit. Oliver Kahn once said that world-class players don't need motivation. They want to know how the game develops, how to react to it. Tony Cruz says, I'd sign that. A world-class coach has to read a game in a way that him and his team are able to re- react to changing situations within the game. Zeit. What's with Jurgen Klinsmann? Tony Cruz. In his time at Bayern, I couldn't see anything. Game model, adequate communication, or success. Cruz continues, from the game model, the plan, how to play against the opponent, and how to present the team and these uh, these solutions, Pep was the best coach I've ever had. He says, uh, Carlo Ancelotti can mix everything needed for success with the best. The tactical idea, the human component, what's not easy at Real Madrid. When he left, we were all very sad. Even the players not playing, who could have had a reason to criticize him for it. No negative words about him. That's remarkable. Zeit says, performance data gets overrated. Cruz says, true. Zeit, Jurgen Klinsmann had a big impact in the development which led us to the World Cup with Joachim Lowe. Joachim Love, excuse me. Cruz, not true. Now, this is just a couple of things. Uh, you know, one little bit of, a, of a, what is probably a much larger interview. Uh, again, credit to, to Rene Marich for, uh, for translating. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm not going to make any comment at all on anything that was included in there. It's Tony Cruz talking about Jurgen Klinsmann. Period. End of story. You take that how you want. Okay, not going to use that as evidence of anything positive or negative about uh, the national team, the U.S. men's national team head coach. 646-832-3909. We've got, uh, obviously, the MLS uh, offseason. The reentry draft is today, right? Is that a thing that we should be excited about? The MLS reentry draft? Who's on the reentry draft list? I don't know if I know that list yet. Also in MLS News, Ernie Stewart has been introduced as the technical director, sorry, sporting director of the Philadelphia Union, lauded as, quote, a critical piece of the puzzle, unquote. Imagine that's Jay Sugarman talking about uh, his hiring of Ernie Stewart. Ernie Stewart in MLS is brilliant. I'm super excited about it. I think he's going to make a big difference to the Philadelphia Union, but be patient, Union fans. Just wait a little while before you start getting too uh, worried about results. I think this might take another season before Ernie Stewart's able to put a stamp on his team that actually shows up on the field in the way that they play. 
And, of course, he's got to work with Jim Curtin. He's got to find a relationship with him. They've got to pick the right players. Right now, I don't know. Ethan White seems to be on his way out. We've got uh, Chris Pontius moving into the team. Some trades happening. Christian Maidana and Andrew Wenger are gone. So there's some, some roster rebuild stuff, obviously. happens every season for Philadelphia. And Ernie Stewart will be a major part of that. Uh, also, I mentioned this, the, the DC United rebrand. How do we feel about this, people? How do we feel about the DC United rebrand? I, I, I like it for the most part. Again, I like it. Forget the, the direction that the ego is looking. I'm not going to make any, I'm not going to draw any, whatever. Not doing that. The one thing I, I thought when I saw it though is it does look like it's, the bird's got a, like, he's on a, like, trying to go skinny waist diet, something. Something weird's happening there. But I, I, I'm a fan of incorporating the DC flag in this, in this, uh, logo, in the badge, because it, it does, it creates a connection with DC. I've seen some complaints, but it does, it seems like an appropriate upgrade, um, in a modern context. There's really nothing offensive about it. It doesn't go weird. There's no, and, and look, there's no ball. I'm, I'm all in on the fact that there's no Telstar panel ball. That we should, uh, that we're, we have to worry about. By the way, MLS needs to update the logo for DC United at the top of their, at the top of the MLSsoccer.com website. Oh, we had a call and then they disappeared. All right. Well, that's a good place to end this episode of Soccer Morning Friday. Friday, Friday. Got your big soccer weekend coming up. Enjoy it. Make sure you come back with observations to share with us on Monday. That's your homework over the weekend. Think about soccer, watch some soccer, and then come back and talk to me, with me and with us, about the soccer you watched. Find some some in-depth analysis to share, or just tell us what you liked and what you done, what you didn't like. How about that? We can do that, too. All right. Thank you to uh, Jonathan Johnson for his appearance on the program today. Good stuff out of France. And uh, as always, thank you to producer Trevor for his work behind the scenes. We'll be uh, over on Sirius XMFC in about 45 minutes, so join us there. See ya. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart on every cursive letter Tell me why the hell